Hey, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, book of Ephesians. We're going to be starting in chapter 3 from verses 14 to 21. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's writing this letter. This book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul's written to the church in Ephesus. And while he's writing this, Paul's actually practicing social isolation. It's a little different than our social isolation because Paul's actually in prison in Rome. In fact, he starts out chapter 3 verse 1 saying, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. So here's Paul in prison. He has no idea what his fate's going to be. He, he, he would likely be assuming that he's going to be executed soon, put to death. And he, here he is writing this letter to a church that he loved. He had spent three years pastoring this church. He, he had left this church in the hands of his favorite protege named Timothy. Now Timothy's pastoring this church. And, and here he is in prison, separated from everybody who he loves, living in uncertain times, not sure what tomorrow holds. And what's going on in that moment? What's going on in Paul's heart and in his mind? There's something Paul's going to lay out for us here that, listen, it gives us a hope. And it'll give us a hope that lasts beyond today. A hope that lasts beyond even after this season is over. And I don't want to waste our time this morning talking about something that doesn't really matter. Talking about something that doesn't last. My prayer is this, that this morning be a morning where God would reveal himself in his word with something that changes us and moves us, that transforms us, that, that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, you would still be floored by this. Not by my, not by my words this morning, but by God's words. Listen, that, that's a huge task. So before we jump in, let, let, let's go to the Lord. Let me pray about this. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, please, Lord God, that you would give me words this morning that won't waste our time here. God, give me words this morning that, that would have people when we're done this morning not, not thinking about me any longer, God, but, but, some, but thinking about you, that you've done something so real by the power of your spirit. Just like the miracles we see in your word, Lord God, I pray that, that you would change us and transform us by the power of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in uncertain times, what's going on in Paul's heart and Paul's mind? If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, look what he says in verse 21. He says in verse 21, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul starts out, he, he's in these uncertain times. He's, he's in isolation. And he's saying, to God be the glory. To him be the glory. Now, now, we can read to him be glory, and, and we can kind of read it with a churchy mind and, and, and kind of take all the power out of it and say, oh, yes, to him be the glory. In fact, in, in older churches, you would call this a doxology. Now, when you hear doxology, you can kind of hear, oh, emotionalist, just going through the motions, kind of rote. It's just like I'm phoning this one in. It's a doxology. It literally means, though, doxology means giving glory. And when Paul is saying to him be the glory here, what's happening, it, for him, this is more like what you would do at a sporting event. Like, like when, when your team wins, it, it's more like you do it at a concert when, you, when your favorite song comes on. 
Paul's giving glory. And it's, it's hardwired into every one of us to give glory to someone or something. We're created as worshipers, created to have a, a hero to brag about. So when you hear Paul and he's ending off this prayer saying, to him be the glory, you've got to imagine that Paul's standing up, arms raised saying, to him be the glory. He's shouting that God is supreme. I mean, literally the word glory in the Old Testament, it, it meant weightiness. It'd be like standing in front of a, a mountain range and saying, those mountains are glorious. They have a weight to them, a hugeness to them. In fact, they're so weighty, so huge. When you stand in front of mountains, you feel very small. So when you think about God's glory, that God has glory, he's the Everest of glory. He, he's not just holy or loving or wise, but, but he's all of those things without comparison. So that standing next to the glory of God, we rightfully feel very small. That next to his wisdom, all other wisdom is just dumb. Next to, next to his holiness, all other purity are like filthy rags. Next to his power, all the power of an expanding universe is like a speck of dust floating in the sunlight. In fact, I would say this way, when you're thinking of God's glory, his weightiness, imagine a scale. And on one side of the scale, you put a couple pieces of Lego. On the other side of the scale, you put one of those huge um, um, oil ships, the super tankers. Right? So you've got a super tanker on this side and a couple pieces of Lego on this side. What happens? The glory, the weightiness of the super tanker, right, makes the scale go like this. In fact, the Lego on this, I mean, you can put them there, you can take them off. It doesn't really matter. They have no weightiness at all compared to the super tanker. Listen, God is ultimate in his glory. Everything else is weightless in comparison. Now, we don't always live this way, do we? There are times where we give weight to pieces of Lego in our lives. We give a weightiness to our fear. We give a weightiness, a glory to our stuff. But when you really see God, those people are like Lego. The, the fear is like Lego. The worry is like Lego. The stuff we give glory to, the, they're nothing when you get a glimpse of the glory of God. In fact, listen, that's what a Christian really is. A Christian is someone who sees Jesus for who he is and recognizes the glory of Jesus. The glory of his holiness and his grace. And the glory, as a Christian, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes the most weighty thing in your life. Everything else are like pieces of Lego. My failure, my sin, my success, my, my relationships, my, my, my hopes, my wants. We say to him, to him be the glory. To God be the glory. What we're saying, God, to you be, be the weightiest thing in my life. And he says, to him be the glory in the church. That as a church, that's what we would reflect. We would reflect the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus, that when people see us, we're showing them that Jesus is our greatest reward. He's the ultimate. That we'd reflect his love, his grace, his holiness. 
And the end result of this is that, that this glory of God, I mean, it's, it's seen throughout all generations forever and ever. Everything else we give a weight to, everything else, I mean, what we give glory to, they last a second. I mean, think about that, the movie star or sports star who, who you just thought was the greatest. Think about the musician you used to look up to, man, they're, they're the greatest band of all time. And I mean, I was thinking about the, the music I listened to in college or in high school. And, and if I were to play that for my kids now, I mean, I find it on Spotify or iTunes, go, hey, you guys got to listen to this. And my kids would go, who is that? All the bands that I thought were so, so much, everything. Man, this, this was everything in the 80s and the 90s, man, and they're nothing now. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I'm saying glory to REM for like a fifth of a generation. Listen, even the greatest heroes we lift up, they are in light of eternity. They're to flash. Now, what was it for Paul? For him to stand up and shout out to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever, amen. What caused him in uncertain circumstances to be shouting that kind of praise? We'll go back a verse and look at what he says in verse 20. This is what was driving him to say this. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. He's, he's looking at God and saying, God, you can do far more. He's saying, whatever we ask of God, God's saying, I can do more than that. God, I want you to move in my marriage. And God's saying, I can do more. God, I want you to move in my kids' lives. And God says, I can do more. God, I, I want you to move in my finances. And God says, I can do far more. God, I want you to move in healing. I can do far more. God, I want you to, to reawaken a, a spiritual life in me. God says, I can do far more. And so Paul, what caused him to give God glory? He sees the sovereign hand of God in the midst of his circumstances, that God, you're in control. God, your power is greater than my circumstances. You're far greater than a virus. You're far greater than a difficult season. You're far greater than a hard heart. You're far greater than a, a spiritual struggle, a mental struggle, far greater than a, a relationship struggle. God, you're in control. And, and for Paul, this is, this is far more than just a, a mental understanding of the doctrine of God's sovereignty. This doctrine moves him to worship. He's in prison awaiting his death and he's singing and he's shouting about the sovereignty of God. Listen, if, if you're somebody and you just love doctrine, you love to read and to study and to, to know God more, you ought to be the most passionate worshiper as well. Because the more you understand about God, it should cause your heart to soar all that much more with worship. And here's Paul, he's standing in praise because of God's power. But there's more than just God's power that's driven him to worship and praise. If I look back at the verses before that, look what he says. He's praying this, he's praying for us that we would know what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. 
What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is floored by God's love. He's at a loss of understanding for this one. You can see how, how he can't even get his head wrapped around love and it just drives him to stand up and say, man, to God be the glory. He's saying that God's love, it surpasses knowledge, he says there. He says, I can't even understand this. Paul, a guy who knew the scriptures better than we would know the scriptures, a guy who went to the Harvard of Pharisee schools, a guy who wrote most of our New Testament. And he's saying, man, this, this whole love of God thing, man, it's beyond knowledge. It's, it's beyond me. I can't get my head wrapped around it. When I think about the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love, man, it blows my mind. And yet, what does he say? He's praying that we would know this love. Paul's saying, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. But Paul, how, how can I know something that can't be known? I mean, how can you define something that can't be defined? How can you add measurements to something that's immeasurable? Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen, this love of Christ is beyond comparison. It's beyond all measurement. Yet he wants us to know it. To, to seek to learn as much about it as we can, to experience this love. Here, here's something, listen, listen, loved ones, we are going to be for all of eternity contemplating the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying this, start now. Start now. So start thinking about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love. I mean, th think about the breadth of God's love. Revelation 7, 9 says this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's the breadth of God's love. It's, it's unimaginable. I mean, think about the length of God's love. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3. An everlasting love. He's saying, listen, the length of my love, I loved you be before the beginning of time. I'll love you to the end of time. There's no interruption. If you're a Christ follower, there's no interruption along the length of God's love for you. When you think of the depth of God's love, Romans 5.8 says this about how deep God's love is. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, rebellious, hateful towards God, he dies in our place for our sin. Christ bears the weight of our sin, the shame, the cruelty, the death. For what? Because of his deep love for you. That's the depth of his love. What about the height of God's love? Well, 1 John 3, 1 says this, see what kind of love. Behold, some, uh, some translations would say, it's, it's like John's doing the same thing Paul's doing. He goes, I can't even get this. Like, th what kind of love is this? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. 
the height of that love. He did not just save you, but he's transformed you. You become his child. I mean, this love of, of Christ is, is undefinable. It's so incredible. And Paul says it's, it's too hard to wrap your heads around. He says, but when you start to pursue this, to know this kind of love, what does he say? Look again at verse 17. He says that, that you would know this. Why? That you would be rooted and grounded in this love. And that, that in uncertain times, you would have a hope that roots you and grounds you. And you're like, okay, Paul, I get it, man. man. I want this. Like, how do I get that kind of rootedness and groundedness? I, I want what, you're, what you've got here, Paul. All right, let's go right to the very beginning of his prayer then. And we'll see the key to this whole thing. Paul says this in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying this desperate prayer. He's, he's dropping to his knees in this prayer. And he says this. Notice he says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's an odd thing for Paul to say because remember, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a church, a, a group of people who, who earlier on in the same letter, he's told them, man, you're one with Christ. You're united with Christ. I mean, remember the first sermon in this series where I talked about who we are as Christ followers, that, that Christ is in you. You're in Christ and Christ is in God. Right now, every time you open up your Tupperware drawer, hopefully you're thinking about that. So what's Paul saying here then? Why is he desperately praying for something we already have? How is this the key for us to be rooted and grounded? Let me describe it to you this way. Imagine you go visit somebody. You don't know this person. They've invited you over for coffee to their house. You go over to their house, and as you, you drive up to their house, I mean, it, it is a, a run-down home. You can't even believe somebody lives there. And, and you creak the front door open. You walk in. They invite you in, and, and this house is in shambles. They, they come to meet you, and, and their clothes are, are torn and raggedy. They're, they're thin and sickly-looking. Their fridge is empty. Their cupboards are bare. And you would think, man, this person has nothing. And then you, you leave that house, you, you go and talk to some other people and say that you visited this person and they start to talk to you about who this person is and they say, you know what? They're one of the wealthiest people in town. They have so much money in their bank account, more than they could ever spend in, in a multitude of lifetimes. And so, so here they are, incredibly rich, but not touching the resources they have. They have all the wealth, yet they're living poorly. Why? Because they won't use the finances they have, they suffer. That's what Paul's talking about here. When, when he's praying for the Ephesian Christians, when, when he's praying for us here, he's saying this, hey, you have all the access you need to, to, to draw on everything you could ever want. He's saying, you, you know about the love of God. He's saying this though, but it hasn't actually broken through to your inner being where God can change us. 
He says, I, I want Christ to dwell there in your hearts. He says, I, I want Christ to dwell in your inner being. Not that you just would know about the love of God, but, but to the center of who you are, the core of who you are, your inner being. I mean, think of it this way. When you think of the core of who you are, when you think of all the things you've experienced in your life, all the words spoken over you, the really great things said to you and about you, the very hurtful things said to you and about you, things said by your parents, things, things said by, by your friends, things said by teachers, by people who, who are significant in your life. And, and when you take stock of all those things, which one of those things, which ones shape who you are? Which ones reach and define your inner being? They stick down deep in the core of who you are. Using the language of glory, which ones hold the greatest weight for you? They control how you see life, how you see the world. Listen, listen, they control how you see yourself, how you see other people. I mean, what is it that's dug down to dwell in your inner being? And, and you start to see these things that are dwelling in your inner being because, because they show up in shame, they show up in insecurity, they show up in fear, they show up in anger, they show up in pride, they show up in compulsions and temptations towards certain sins. And Paul's saying, hey, hey, here's something I want you to know. I want you to know the love and the grace of Jesus, but not just know about it. I want it to take root deep into your inner being where it has the greatest weight in the core of who you are. Paul's saying you can have all the riches of Christ while still living poor. You can hear all this truth about the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ, and yet you still give more weight to other people's words, more weight to another source, to another standard, to a, another evaluation. But listen, to have Christ dwell in your inner being, to, to know the love of Christ deeply, to be filled with the fullness of God, to have this happen, this isn't just automatic. We, we don't come automatically downloaded with this knowledge of Christ in our inner being. We don't naturally perceive ourselves accurately. You need the truth of God's love, the truth of his glory rooted deeply. And listen, it doesn't just happen automatically. It happens when you read his word, when you're praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal this, the power of the Spirit to see yourself rightly as you see the glory of God rightly. I heard someone say it this way. If you have an iPhone, an iPhone comes downloaded with, with, with an iOS, right? It has its operating system already downloaded into it. It's, it's automatic. So when you buy a new iPhone, you turn it on, right? And it just walks you through the steps, right? It, it says, hello, welcome to your new iPhone. And then, are you dumb? Yes, I am. Press here, right? And then the whole thing happens for you automatically and it's up fully and running. A, a downloaded operating system. But listen, for you and I, it doesn't happen that way. We don't come pre-loaded with an operating system. It has to be downloaded into us. You, you have to hear the word of God spoken to your inner being. And prayerfully by the 
power of the Spirit, to have the glory of God, to have His words carry more weight in you. We need this to take root deeply. Listen, it's your inner being that the Holy Spirit wants to get His hands on. And it's, it's where you start to, to talk like Paul. You start to know that your inner being is being dwelt by Christ. When you, you start to say things like, man, man, I, I'm starting to see something I didn't know before. Man, I thought I knew about the love of Christ, but man, I, I barely knew it. I'm starting to see it in a whole new way. Listen, that's your inner being being renewed. Let me ask you this. What have you settled for? I mean, what is it in your inner being where you say this is all there is and there probably isn't anymore? What carries the most weight in your inner being? Is it something your parents said to you? Is it, is it something that your spouse has done or how they've treated you? Is it, is it what you think is the standard of your life? Are, are those things more controlling than what God says about you? This is where we, like Paul, need to drop onto our knees and desperately cry out for the Spirit to do a work. You see, listen, here, here's the thing. We have not been downloaded with this information automatically, but here's where our hearts are automatically. Our inner self is bent. I mean, Paul says in chapter 2 of Ephesians, in verses 1 to 4, he talks about how our inner self is broken by sin. Our core is twisted. And, and then to the brokenness of our soul, you add the brokenness of the world and the, the things pressing in on us. And, man, and you can see this played out, especially in hard times, when my inner self is bent and broken. Man, where am I running? How am I reacting? What do you say about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? Again, what, what carries the most weight for you? The Spirit wants to work in this inner being, in this deeper place. And Paul's saying, he's saying, this is my prayer for you. And listen, I get it. This, this season right now, social, social isolation is so hard for so many. Right? I know I've been talking to so many of you where, where the loneliness can be crushing. We're, we're trying to now you know, to be both parent and teacher and, and not just homeschool your kids, but man, your kids have no other outlets but to be with their siblings, to be with you. And it can be so hard. Or marriage problems that, that you used to be able to avoid them, you used to be able to kind of just cover them up or hide them with the, the busyness of life. Now they're, they're front and center. Or, or fear and anxiety about what tomorrow holds. Man, it can start to eat away at your hope and at your joy. And Paul's saying, listen, in the midst of that, desperately reach out for more. Pray with a, a hopeful expectation that, that there's more. I mean, think about what this kind of prayer can do in this season. In, in a season where our world is just filled with fear and, and negativity and fighting and arguing, where, where you can step out with joy and optimism and I mean a massive testimony just living that way. We're in the midst of this uncertain season where you would say the king is still in his throne, that he could do far more than we could ever hope or ask or even imagine. 
I mean, let's let this passage of Scripture be our prayer as a church. I mean, Paul's praying this over the church in Ephesus. Let it be our prayer. Let's drop to our knees that, that we would recognize that, man, my inner self is not naturally going to move towards hope and peace and joy. So I want to drop to my knees. You know, as Paul prayed that, as he, as he said, for this reason, I bow my knees. Typically in, in this culture, you didn't pray on your knees. You prayed standing up. It's when something desperate came along. Where in humility and desperation, you drop to your knees. Listen, if, if you want to move from, from just believing about the love of Christ to, to really experiencing in your inner self the indwelling of Christ, the fullness of God, the love of God, you're going to have to be deliberate about it. Dropping to your knees, putting a flag in the ground saying, saying I'm going after this. I mean, I even wonder if, if this time of isolation is exactly what we need as Christians. It's what the church needs. Just as Jesus got away to be alone with his father, man, let's not waste this season that, that maybe it's a gift from God saying, you're so distracted, you're so busy. I want you to be alone. I want you to come to that place where you would go after this. Let's not waste this. But do we go after God to know him in our inner being? God, would you have more weight? God, would you have more glory? And so we go to him on our knees in prayer because listen, it's the spirit that does this work. Why is Paul praying for this? He's saying, man, I pray that this would happen, that, that through his spirit in your inner being, he says. We drop to our knees. We pray with anticipation. We pray with this holy discontentment. Man, I don't want to be here anymore, God. I know you can do more. God, I know you can do more. Lord, I want you to heal. I want, I want you to, to restore. I want you to bring prodigals home. And, and God's saying, I'm going to take all those prayers. And God, that you would take even our smaller prayers, that you would open our hearts up to pray for more. We would go after this. Listen, Harvest, that as a church, we would go after it as a church. We go after this for ourselves. We go after it for our family. We go after it for our church. I mean, Paul takes the rest of this letter to the Ephesian church and he starts laying out, hey, hey, here's how family works. Here's how church works. Here's how parenting and marriage works. Here's how your, your jobs work. But all of those things, all those things we could pray for come after this prayer. That after you've rooted yourself in the gospel, where your prayers go deeper than just looking for a nice family and a, and a great house and a secure job and a, and, a, and a great retirement, that you start to pray bigger, pray for more. And what are we praying for? God, that we would know that you would strengthen us with power, that in our inner being, that we would know, that we would comprehend, it says in verse 18. That, that, that word comprehend, it's another word maybe you would have in another translation would be that we would grasp this love of God. That, that word comprehend or grasp, it's, it's more than just a mental knowledge. The literal word there is used in other places as a word to describe breaking down a castle wall to overtake a city. 
When you're praying, God, I, I want to know this. God, I want this truth to explode into my inner being. I want you to break down those walls of my heart to the core of who I am to overtake my inner being. And for that to happen, you don't just pray a quick prayer. You don't just read a little bit of scripture. No, you're breaking down castle walls in your soul here. So you drop to your knees, you read, you meditate on God's word, you memorize it, you read it over and over again. You're asking questions and calling out to God as you pray through his word and by his grace and in his time and by his spirit, you press in until he breaks down those walls and explodes with his love and his grace into your inner being. You begin to see Jesus differently. You see him clearly. You begin to see more of the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of his love. All of this happens by his spirit, his spirit dwelling in you, in your life. Let's press in on this, church. That Jesus is calling us to something so much greater. Let's not settle for anything else, but, but his spirit at work in our lives to, to give us what really matters. The changes in our inner being. And we patiently and faithfully, we pray and we watch him do far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think. God begins to answer these prayers. Let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, I pray even now. God, I pray for those who are watching who are in a difficult season in life. God, I just pray your grace on them. I pray your blessing on them. I pray your peace on them. Father, I thank you that in your word you give us this assurance of hope. God, I pray that everyone listening even right now, God, hearing this, would, would begin to understand what their next steps would be in this. God, that we would, we would drop to our knees and call out to you. Lord Jesus, we can't wait to see you face to face, but, but for now, God, open our hearts to see who you are now. Break down the walls of our inner being, God, so that we can know the hope that makes us not ashamed. And I pray that this prayer here of Paul would be our prayer. That we'd long for it, that we'd fight for it, that we'd fast for it, that we'd plead with you as our good, good father until in your grace and your mercy, by your spirit, you would answer in ways that blow us away. Lord God, we want to, as this passage here says, we want to lift high the name of Jesus forever and ever. It's, it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.